Welcome back to Silhouettes, a fashion history podcast all about the importance of the clothes we wear. I'm your host, Belle, and in today's episode, we're going to be continuing on with our spooky season episodes. I don't know about you, but this is really my favorite time of year. I am a spooky gothic gal. I love all that kind of stuff. And it would be absolutely remiss of me not to give you all a couple of episodes on spooky history of fashion. And in today's episode, we're going to be delving into a unique and suitably glothic piece of fashion history, the iconic look of the witch. So we all know the image of a witch. She's adorned in flowing robes with a tall pointed hat, pointed boots, silhouetted against a full moon with a tattered broomstick in hand, maybe a black hat on her shoulder. But have you ever wondered why these peculiar accessories or very specific accessories have become synonymous with witches? Witches have actually been a part of folklore for centuries and their distinctive attire has evolved and changed over time to the contemporary sort of interpretations that we see today that are very much a modern version of the witch. But nevertheless, it's kind of impossible to overlook the sort of enduring imagery of the historical witch and her very distinctive aesthetic. So join me on a magical journey through the history of witchy fashion as we learn all about the intricate and multifaceted historical mythological evolution of the witch's costume and how and why the depiction of the witch has taken on the form that we know and associate with it today. Now, to really delve into the fashion history of witches, we first must really consider their historical background and their origins. The concept of witchcraft and the belief in the existence of magic and dark magic particularly has persisted really throughout recorded history and has its origins in antiquity, as we so often see on this podcast. The sort of stereotypical witch that we conjure up as an image today however really began to emerge during the late middle ages and the early modern period and as we know or perhaps don't this was a dark time marked by witch hunts and the persecution of women primarily many women were accused of practicing witchcraft individuals became victims of societal paranoia and the representation of witches as dark malevolent evil creatures particularly female emerged in many different places such as woodcuts and distributed papers and this influenced both the fashion of the time and the association of witchcraft with satanic evil forces. As according to Encyclopedia Britannica, witchcraft exists more in the imagination of contemporaries than in any objective reality. Yet this stereotype has a long history and has constituted for many cultures a viable explanation of evil in the world. And that pretty much sums it up. So going back to antiquity, many cultures had different forms of magical and mystical practices. The cultures that most likely had the most influence were, as we so often see, the ancient Egyptians and the Romans. But we saw witchcraft emerge in Mesopotamia, 4th century China and elsewhere as well. In Egypt, for example, priestesses used herbs and incantations for the purposes of healing. 
There existed a duality in the realm of magic of ancient Egypt, though, consisting of two forms, the protective, beneficial white magic and malevolent, harmful black magic. And this manifested usually as things like curses and hexes. And this is something we know today and very much associate with dark magical practice and with satanic witchcraft. In ancient Egyptian mythology, though, the god Heka was the personification of magic. She was considered a powerful force that encompassed the practice of magic, rituals and spells, and she would be called upon for these practices. In ancient Greece, the practice of magic and witchcraft was quite diverse, actually. There were magicians or goats, I think I've said that right, that were known for their ability to summon spirits and would perform acts like divination and scrying. The Greeks actually believed in the idea of pharmakia, and this was the use of potions and herbs for various purposes. We also, saw the mythical, we also saw the mythological woman Medea, often associated with witchcraft, and she would use spells and herbs for her magical purposes. Also, interestingly, moving towards ancient Rome, various forms of witchcraft and magical practice emerged. The Veneficium referred to the use of potions and particularly love potions, while the Maleficium was the practice of harmful magic, often associated with things like curses, hexes and harmful spells. We also saw the figure or the image of Strix, which was a type of witch, and this was usually depicted as an owl associated with nighttime magic and darker rituals. And it was in these early forms of magic that we laid the groundwork for the more elaborate systems of witchcraft that would emerge in later centuries and also solidified this association with the practice of herbalism, magic, either white or dark magic, with women in particular, as we saw in ancient Greece and Egypt, female figures in mythology were often associated with the use of magic. And this most likely influenced many opinions later down the line towards associating women with satanic practices and hexes and curses and evil forms of magic. And this is absolutely relevant because it explains a great deal why women typically were more targeted when it came to the persecution of witches in the later centuries. And how, of course, this affected the depictions of witches, the fashion of witches and the way that we associate witch imagery with females today. But with all that being said, the most infamous period in the history of witchcraft is the European witch hunts of the Middle Ages and the early modern period. These witch hunts, which reached their peak in the 16th and 17th century, were fueled by religious, social and political factors and were particularly brutal. Thousands of people, primarily women, were accused of witchcraft and subjected to horrific trials and executions, which I won't get into, characterised by mass hysteria and a real belief in the existence of witches who consorted with the devil and were seen as a threat to towns, cities and general life. Methods of torture and witch tests were used to extract confessions, leading to the persecution and execution of, as I said, thousands of individuals. And this really tragic period stands as a reminder of the dangers of superstition and the human sort of tendency to scapegoat and demonise anyone perceived as different. And the image of the witch, as we commonly know her today, was largely shaped during this dark chapter in our history, with pointed hats, broomsticks and cauldron becoming common symbols of witchcraft in depictions in illustrations and woodcuts. 
It was really the spread of Christianity, though, in the West that brought these significant changes to the perception of witchcraft. The new religion sought to establish its dominance with pagan beliefs and practices, including witchcraft, being demonised and becoming associated with this new idea of Satanism. The church began to view practices such as healing, divination, spell casting, even alchemy and herbal practices as heretical, evil and aligned with dark forces. Now, obviously, I say here the beginning of Christianity, but by that, what I mean is the idea of the organised religion and really the way that it evolved during the Middle Ages. It was by the late Middle Ages that the church's stance on witchcraft really took hold and the witch hunts began. These infamous witch trials of the 16th and 17th centuries were characterised by, as I said, mass hysteria and the belief that witches would have made pacts with the devil to cause harm on their friends, families, neighbours and the country as a whole. And this is what led to the persecution of thousands of women. In 1597, King James of Scotland published a compendium in witchcraft law called the Demonology. It was published in England in 1603 when James acceded to the English throne. And this is a very important piece of the story when it comes to this idea of mass hysteria. According to the British Library, where the book can be seen, the book asserts James's full belief in magic and witchcraft and aims to both prove the existence of such forces and to lay down what sort of trial and punishment these practices merit and in James's view this was death and it was this book that directly influenced this widespread hysteria we saw though innocent women wives and mothers with no association with things like herbalism or any sort of witchy powers of any kind become explanations for other failings due to the popularity of this mindset there are even examples of women who simply live next door to a home whose crops were failing, who were accused of witchcraft. And this was really just a way of justifying failures, explaining disease and making sure there was a scapegoat for people when it came to their fear and their ignorance. And eventually this demonology had a significant impact on the perception of witches and witchcraft and the image of the witch as a satanic figure as opposed to a herbalist, someone with a close tie to the earth, with healing, with white practices, and even just women who may have challenged societal norms or challenged established authorities. And this began to emerge surrounded by a sense of fear. And this was when witches began to be physically depicted as individuals who defied societal constraints and had close ties with established Satanism. We see here then practitioners of magic and witchcraft in antiquity that varied widely across cultures with some forms of magic and witchcraft respected and sought after. Others, particularly in these middle periods, become feared and viewed with suspicion as the concept of Satanism and harmful magic emerged. And this led to the prosecution of those accused of using magic for negative purpose and our established image as the witch, as a figure of fear. And of course, this is changing. And I think in the last maybe three or four years, I've seen a real growth in people's perceptions towards witchcraft and particularly towards physical depictions of witches. And I've only focused here on a snapshot of the tiny history of magic, witchcraft, white and dark practices, because as I said at the beginning of this episode, it spans thousands, millions of years even, and humans' association with magical practices 
is weaved throughout our history in various different places around the world, in various different cultures. However, the ones I mentioned are some of the most established, shall we say. Now, there are certain areas in the world that have intrinsically tied history with witchcraft and witches in the West, particularly in the US and the UK, but most specifically in Scotland and Wales. And it is these locations that have really solidified our distinct witchy image. And so I have to talk about them a little bit before I go into the more nuanced section about witches fashion. Now Wales is a location in the UK that is rich in history, mythology and ancient traditions and I actually have a close family tie with Wales, a great deal of my family being Welsh themselves and it is a wonderful fascinating place to research in terms of the history of magical practices. It has been the home to a diverse range of beliefs and practices throughout time including most specifically witchcraft. It's an intricate tapestry of folk magic, ancient wisdom and modern interpretations of magic, deeply intertwined with the broader context of British and Celtic folklore. Now, Wales has its own distinctive culture and traditions when it comes to magic, as well as its own unique forms of magic and folk magic. Cunning folk, known as Dinion Hubius, probably said that very wrong in Welsh, were individuals who offered services such as healing, divination and protection from malicious malevolent forces. They played a huge role in Welsh communities and were considered a precursor to Mabinogion, which is a collection of medieval Welsh tales. And this offers sort of insights into the supernatural beliefs of Welsh people. The stories feature powerful enchantresses, magical women, transformations and a strong connection to the land and to nature. We also see Scotland having extremely strong ties to the history of witchcraft in a very similar way to Wales, but with its own distinct mythology and histories. I read a book recently called The Lighthouse Witches, which was all about individual islands in Scotland and their association with ideas towards magic and mythology and witchcraft and witch practices particularly surrounding wildlings, which are magical beings who take the place of real children. And it was a really, really great book. I highly recommend it. But it's just safe to say that these two locations in the UK particularly have very intrinsically tied folklore, histories, stories, practices with magical beings, healing practices, herbalism and witchcraft. And costume fashion pieces that make up our image of the traditional witch and I think the best place to start here is with the black pointy hat because honestly you can wear a completely normal casual day-to-day outfit you wear a costume witch hat and people instantly will know you're dressed as a witch and I love things like this. You know, I think that's kind of fascinating. I spoke about it more in my Romans episode and my Pirates episode, how individual pieces can instantly change an outfit and take us back to a distinct style or a distinct time period. And it's definite that the black pointed witch hat is our most iconic piece of witch fashion. Now, the image of a witch's pointy hat dates back centuries and it has its roots in an intersection between fashion and folklore. Of course, its exact origins are not known. It's very difficult to trace exactly where many of these things came from, but have likely developed from many different places. According to Murray Lodi, one interesting theory points to the Witches of Subeshi, and these were a trio of 4th or 3rd century BCE female mummies discovered in China's Tarim Basin, and they wore extremely tall, pointed hats made from black felt. The mummified remains of the witches of Subeshi were found with pointed hats on their heads. 
There's also a woman named Mother Shipton, and she was a 16th century English prophetess, often depicted as wearing a tall conical hat. And she was said to have made predictions from the Spanish Armada all the way to the internet and was closely associated with potentially convening with the devil to find out these prophecies. The pointed hat, though, most importantly, was also a fashion trend in medieval Europe. I spoke about this in my medieval fashion series. But it was transformed into a sign of rebellion and a connection to the supernatural with the rise of distrust for witchcraft and magical practices in some locations. The fashion history of the witch's hat also plays a significant role in understanding its symbolism. As I said, in medieval Europe, high pointed hats named hennins were in vogue for women, particularly among the upper classes. These hats became a symbol of social elegance and status, but in the context of witches, the pointed hat may have represented a subversion to societal hierarchies. Therefore, a tall pointed hat was favoured by women during a time, as we now know, hugely associated with fear and persecution of those apparently partaking in dark magic. And so it seems obvious here that the female fashion of the time would begin to merge with a fear of women that was evolving and combining with a fear of dark practices. As an example, in medieval Europe, women who brewed beer at home had a reputation of being witches. These women were known as alewives and they were suspected of being herbalists. And this was a practice that became associated with magic at the time even though we know it's not necessarily a dark practice, it is just using what the earth gives you to create medicines and things with other healing properties. However, we have to remember this was a time of ignorance, really. People didn't have the same understanding of processes, chemistry, how things worked that we do now. So something like herbalism became closely tied with a magical practice. And obviously we know herbal materials such as chamomile, lavender, rosemary that grows naturally, particularly in the UK, has its own magical properties, but it also has natural herbalist properties and the two do become interlinked. But at this time period, the more practical uses for this were not understood and only associated with magical, mystical practices, particularly that for some reason of dark forces. And these women would have worn what was in fashion of the time, tall pointed hats. And it was groups of women like this who were opposing normalised structures and opposing the things that women were told they were allowed to do, for example, brewing beer, that allowed tall pointed henins with witchy practices. As Liz Stardust says, she's an astrologist for the New York Times and writes a little bit about the history of witchcraft. Any woman who defied the patriarchal norms of the 16th, 17th and 1800s was pretty much considered to be a Satan-worshipping sorceress. This influenced the visual representation of witches. The witch hunts and trials of the 16th and 17th centuries in Europe often depicted women, those accused of witchcraft, wearing pointed hats, likely for this reason. And these hats came to symbolise an affiliation with dark forces and their alleged ability to cast spells. Also, during the Salem witch trials, the devil was described as a tall, dark man in a high-crowned hat. And this was a very similar time period to the European witch trials. And so depictions merged, depictions were similar, and we begin to see women accused of communing with Satan depicted wearing tall, pointed hats that were in fashion. And obviously, when it comes to woodcuts, colour isn't really very possible. And so many of these were drawn, cut as black. Now I do also want to talk about the Welsh hat, also known as the Welsh lady's hat. 
And I spoke a bit about Welsh history and the land's association with magical practices and its close links with folklore. And so this also most likely played some part in the depiction of witches wearing pointed hats. A Welsh lady's hat is traditional headwear associated with females in Wales. It's a very distinctive and culturally significant piece of Welsh folk attire. And the hat's design and style evolved over time, but its place in Welsh heritage remains very prominent and would have been worn at a time where folklore, magic and mythology was high. It's a tall hat with a conical shape and a pointed crown. It's often made from felt or with straw and it's very, very sturdy on the head. Now, the height of the hat would vary depending on time period, personal choice, location. But traditionally, it was very tall, often adorned with a ribbon and sometimes in black. And I think here you can see where I'm going. <laughs> Also, according to Elizabeth Yuko, some trace the witch hat to a style associated with Quaker women. Throughout most of the 17th century, as she says, women of all social classes wore tall black wool felt hats, just as I mentioned earlier. Wide brimmed black conical hats peaked in popularity in the mid 1600s. And this is also when Christianity was growing, as I mentioned at the beginning, and a new denomination known as the Religious Society of Friends, or Quakers, was founded. The Quakers' beliefs were considered radical, particularly the idea that men and women were spiritual equals, which, you know, <laughs> threw up a lot of opinions, I'm sure, and that women were also permitted to be preachers and quite high up in the Quaker society. And this meant that Quakers began to be seen as outsiders, even though they practiced Christianity, and their views were considered really a threat to Britain and the monarchy as well as the Church of England. And so they faced a great deal of imprisonment, persecution, trials, and Quaker women in particular were accused of witchcraft. Therefore, this is a time where women outside of societal norms were being persecuted and women who would have been wearing tall hats. As Elizabeth Yuko says, at a time when women outside of the monarchy were rarely in the public eye, and therefore seldom represented in book illustrations and other art, the image of the Quaker woman and the clothes they wore stuck and became intrinsically tied to images of women associated with practicing witchcraft. In her 1901 book, The Quaker, A Study in Costume, historian Amelia Montgomer, herself actually a practicing Quaker, noted that 17th century preaching women who face witchcraft persecutions wore pointed hats with caps underneath. They also wore aprons and high-heeled shoes. And so witch hunters and artists, woodcutters, began to portray witches as these evil sinister figures depicted either in the fashions of the time, depicted as a Quaker woman, but nevertheless depicted wearing a tall pointed hat. It was also used as a visual symbol of a connection to the supernatural and their supposed ability to cast spells. Although, as according to Francesca Scantlebury, in reality, those accused of witchcraft were probably dressed no differently to their neighbours. In an era of extreme paranoia, it would even have been considered especially foolish to dress more dramatically in a manner particularly associated with witchcraft, which is interesting. 
So it's clear here that the witch's pointy hat is an iconic piece of attire that has really just evolved through the centuries and eventually became synonymous with witches in popular culture. And so tall pointed hats have a rich history in terms of fashion and costume as well as religious costume, but also symbolism. And this intertwines with the world of fashion trends, female fashion and localized fear of women and of magical practices. Now, another standard base of the witch's infamous costume is a black robe or a black cape or just a long tattered black dress. Catherine Walker, an assistant professor specializing in the history of magic at the University of Nevada, states that historically healing women and others who would later be called witches would wear what everyone else in their village community did. And these would have been homemade clothes that were made to be functional. As she explains, in the medieval period and beyond, these clothes would feature cloaks or hoods. And so, as she says, it's very likely that in terms of dress, witches at first were not visually distinct from their neighbours. But this allowed generalised female fashions to slowly become affiliated with witches. The connection with a black dress in particular is probably the result of the association of the colour black with the devil and with black magic throughout the Renaissance, Walker explains. During the witch hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries in Europe, those accused of witchcraft were often depicted in dark, tattered clothing alongside their pointed hats. And they would have been depicted wearing the standard clothing of the time, as I said, a cloak or a hood or a robe, but in black. The black robes symbolise their apparent affiliation with malevolent magic, as well as depicting a defiance of societal norms, because most likely people wouldn't have been wearing these clothes in black. They would have been in more natural colours like beige or tan because that's the colour of the materials they would have been using. And these robes and their depictions became a way of dehumanising accused witches, making them appear terrifying, malevolent, associated with evil supernatural ideals. Because black was associated with Satan, but also with ideas of darkness, mystery, the unknown, the ability to hide yourself. And so in the context of witchcraft, it came to symbolise the idea that witches practice their craft in the shadows hidden in these black robes. Black, of course, is also associated with the nighttime. We take for granted how much light we have now, street lamps, torches, electrical lights. I don't think we can quite comprehend just how dark it would have been hundreds of years ago, particularly in more rural areas. And so it's this idea that witches or just women were practicing their rituals under the cover of darkness where they couldn't be seen and wearing a black coat would have only helped this idea of hiding and doing it in the shadows. A woodcut from 1720 held at the Welcome Library shows a witch dressed in a black flowing cloak and it's covering most of her body. Another from the same year held in the same location shows witches and devils dancing in a circle and the witches again are wearing black dresses. And so this image of witches comes from the idea of being hidden, the colour black's association with the supernatural but it was also perpetrated through art, media and literature of the time and contributed to a popular perception of witches that has really stayed until the modern day. And obviously we know the portrayal is sensationalised and glamorised and become much more 
over the top than even people in the 16th and 17th century could have understood. But we do see classical works depicting witches in the same way. For example, the witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth and fairy tales like Hansel and Gretel. The Wizard of Oz even played a role in shaping our image of a witch wearing a dark black cloak. And it in fact used those contemporary examples such as Shakespeare's Macbeth in their design inspiration. And so it's one of these things again that slowly snowballs and comes from an element of truth and becomes sensationalised into something much more over the top than the original source material. Another common trope in the cavalcade of witchy costumes is witches wearing pointed black boots. According to Andrew Miller of the Museum of London, medieval people associated extravagant fashions and pointed shoes in particular with people on the alternative spectrums or those of deviant sexualities, their words not mine, of the time period. These pointed shoes were the height of fashion from the 14th to the 16th century and they were officially known as poulains and this is something I also spoke about in my medieval fashion series. Poulains was a word that evolved from the French term from Poland and these were sharp shoes with long pointed toes and they were all the rage. However, like many fashion trends, poulains weren't without controversy. As he explains, this new trend was a controversial one to some people. Specifically, it was controversial because the church began to attack pointed shoes and contributing directly to people's sexual proclivities. The poulain was seen to encourage what the medieval church referred to as sodomy, and this was a catch-all term for any sex considered just non-standard. <laughs> the term sodomite was doled out generously to all types of people, regardless of their gender, as and when they were accused of deviant sexual proclivities. Yet, as he says more seriously, in the eyes of the church, the great length of poulains prevented people from being able to kneel, and therefore this prevented them from praying and therefore they became the target of censure and priests actually called long pointed poulain shoes satan's claws i mean that tells you everything you need to know right so as for how witches really became associated with the pointed shoe it of course is this connection with deviance and satanism and so, as we saw earlier, illustrations and woodcuts began to show women wearing these deviant satanistic shoes. And in fact, later into the 18th century, pointed shoes actually became fashionable for women. But it seemed that this association with pointy shoes and satanistic practices lingered in society and never really left. A woman's shoe, which dates from 1675 to maybe 1699, was actually found in a wall in Ely Cathedral and has this distinctive pointy shape. It has pointed curled toes and a curved heel, and according to historian Seri Holbrook from the University of Hertfordshire, it harks back to a history in which some people resorted to hiding or concealing shoes in their homes as a means of warding off evil influences. And this is really interesting too, because we see pointed shoes being associated with Satanism, but we also see shoes of the same shape being used as a protection to ward off these evil influences. But it is this association with pointed shoes and women and any sort of link with dark practices that likely evolved into these depictions. According to Seri Holbrook, in earlier centuries, it might have been about protection from witches or the devil. And one theory proposes that the shoes were invented to act as lures for witches or spirits and other supernatural threats. The theory is that the evil force believes the shoe to be the person and attacks the shoe instead and becomes trapped inside it. It's like the old woman who lived in a shoe. That's probably where it came from. And thus, lithograph designers 
woodcuts and illustrations of the time depict witches in these shoes perhaps simply because women wore shoes that were pointed with pointed toes, pointed heels and large buckles in dark colours during this time, but also potentially to this long association with evil. And it's unclear when actually pointed shoes became witch's footwear, but much like the hat, it seems there was a variety of origins. However, I do think the link is unsurprising and really, really interesting given their historical association with the devil in medieval Europe and the fact that dressing up in Halloween costumes started to take off in the United States in the early 20th century. And that is also a time period where black pointed buckle shoes or lace-up boots were very, very popular. And so many women, when they were dressing up as a witch, they would don their pointed hat, their black robe, and they would just wear their normal shoes, which so happened to be pointed black boots. And this is where the costume of the witch most likely took off. And that's also really interesting too. So there's many different arenas or areas here where our typical witch fashion could have evolved, but it's likely snowballed and been picked from various different places. Now, another element of some witchy portrayals, less popular, I think, is a witch with green skin. Now, I think this is something that we see less and less. I remember when I was younger, if you were dressing as a witch, you would paint yourself green you would maybe add some warts and things like that. But I do see this happen less, particularly with older costumes. But nevertheless, the green skin is a very distinctive facial feature of a witch's costume. And the connection between the colour green and wickedness is really, really fascinating and actually has historical ties to the devil and malevolence as well as ideas of sickness and poison. For example, green has been the colour of mythological dragons and snakes. Think of how the devil was depicted in the story of Adam and Eve as a green snake who solicited evil and tempt. But also there is a historic hostility between Christians and Muslims. And for Muslims, the color green was sacred and still is sacred. And this had a large effect on the idea of Christian people persecuting those associated with evil practices because, you know, naturally we see different religions in the past having a great deal of hostility and tension and so this likely had an effect. Also, in many historic French folk tales, the devil is usually depicted wearing green. However, the specific association between green skin specifically and witches, female witches, truly emerged, as you probably well know, with the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. When Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer made the decision to produce The Wizard of Oz in bright Technicolor, the executives of the studio encouraged the creative team, particularly costume designers and makeup artists, to use this full spectrum of colours and make the film as bright and Technicolor as possible to show off this new technology. And I think they succeeded. That film is as colourful as you could possibly get. <laughs> they also wanted to establish a clear distinction between the scenes set in Kansas, which were sepia-toned, black and white, and the very saturated realm of Oz, which we know was associated with colour, but also with the colour emerald green. And so the makeup designers, the costume designers, wanted to make the costume, the fashions, as bright and colourful as possible. And so the Wicked Witch of the West was bestowed with her iconic green skin. Margaret Hamilton, who portrayed the witch, actually underwent multiple different tests to determine which shade of green makeup appeared the most striking in Technicolor. And the one they landed on, the brightest, brightest green possible, I think, was what won. In fact, 
prior to the release of this film, many depictions of witches in popular culture, in costumes, in films, in illustrations, featured those with pale, white, ghostly, otherworldly skin. And this harks back to the idea that witches were communicating with evil spirits and they themselves became pale, white, almost translucent, and this associated them with the spiritual world. So it's interesting that green was chosen as a colour, but as we see, it does have a history of association with evil, particularly in the West and with Christian religions, with Satanism. But also, it probably just comes from the fact that green was a really bright colour and the costume designers wanted something bright to make her character stand out. So who knows? It might be a combination of the two. (laughs) But nevertheless, it's really interesting how these individual things can snowball and all come together to create something that is iconic visually as the witch's look and which fashion has even become a fashion trend at the moment. You see fast fashion brands even like Shein and Romwe and Cider making it very popular to people and using things like black cloaks, pointed hats, flowing sleeves, moon and star images. So it's not even now subcultures like goths or actual practicing witches of nowadays (laughs) that maybe want to represent themselves in these ways but it's becoming an element of fast fashion too and it's so so interesting that Hennins became associated with witchcraft and certain styles now become worn by teenagers who buy fast fashion you know there you go (laughs) it all links up Thank you for joining me on this journey through the fashion history of witches. I hope you've gained a deeper appreciation for the power of fashion to sort of convey meaning, make statements and how it evolves over time. I really liked uh, researching this episode. I came across so many interesting things and I'm going to look at a witch's costume very differently now to how I did before. If you enjoyed this episode of Silhouettes, please subscribe, rate, leave me a review. Your support obviously keeps the stories of fashion history alive and allows allows me to keep making episodes and I also love hearing your feedback and hearing what you have to say and all the things that you loved about my episodes or maybe didn't love constructive criticism is great too but until next time keep exploring the world of style and thanks for listening stay fab everyone I'll see you in the next one (laughs) 